0: Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA Podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Well, hello, Real Life Church, this is Pastor Jim speaking to you from back on the uh, home territory, uh, back in the church again, where hopefully before too long, all of us will gather again for Reunion Sunday. Uh, In the meantime, I hope you've looked at the, the process of relaunching that we've posted online that'll go from worshiping in our homes to worshiping with small groups of friends in our homes to one day gathering in here together again. But uh, I wanted to uh, share with you today uh, a message of hope and promise based on the scriptures. Uh, I want to look at uh, what Jesus says about what's going on in our lives when everything seems like it's in chaos and out of control. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, I've got a a couple of of shout outs uh, I wanted to share with you. First of all, thanks to all of you who did the uh, virtual blessing challenge again this week. To Wayne and Sherry and Jennifer and Doris who went to grocery stores and bought uh, gift cards. For the clerks and the people bagging groceries to say thank you and God bless you. Thanks for all of you who keep doing that. And if you haven't seen the stories from those, you can go to our blog at reallife.la slash blog and check out the many, many stories we've posted there. It's just kind of beautiful to see what you all have done to care for people who are working during this hard season. So, uh, So kudos to all of you. Also, I want to uh, give a, a, a word of hello, a word of greeting to a couple different families. First of all, to the Maury family, Josiah and Sarah. God bless you guys. They are, they are moving to another part of the country, and we love you, and we'll miss you, but we'll stay in contact because in this new online world, we're a lot closer together than we used to be. Uh, we look forward to watching Levi James grow up, and uh, bless you guys on your way. Uh, and also, I noticed uh, as, as I've looked at who's connecting with us uh, and checking in on us week by week. There's a, a family who we haven't seen in a while, but they're still part of the real life family. Uh, Skyla and Benji are off in the Netherlands, I believe, and they check in every now and then. I think they're they're nine hours apart from us, so I have no idea. We may be asleep when they're checking in with us. I don't know. But I uh, want to say hi to you guys because I know you're dropping in now and then, and just uh, wanted to know what we were noticed. We noticed. Okay, well, let's take a minute and. Uh, I want to pray before we get into uh, get into our study of the scriptures today. If you got your Bible in front of you, you can open to Luke chapter 13. Uh, go ahead and turn off all the rest of the noise. Don't scroll through Facebook and Instagram as we worship together. God's word is more important, so let's hone in on that. Hone in on this. But you can open to Luke chapter 13 in your Bible. That's what we're going to study today. Uh, and I want to I want to share a word of prayer with you uh, before we get into this study. Uh, got uh, promises from the scriptures today and a, a great story of, of healing that I witnessed this last week. Uh, but let's, uh, let's draw our hearts I- into God's presence. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us and that even when the world is topsy-turvy, when the world is in chaos, that you are still God on the throne, that everything is still in your hands and in your control. And I ask that in this season you would bless us where we are, and teach us to grow in faith and to develop our souls even when we don't have our, our typical structures to rely on. For those of us who are in uh, professional trouble or in financial risk, God, I ask you pour out blessings on us that you take care of us, that you show us that you're watching over us like a good father. May we depend on you in every way in this season. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. All right, so something that is true about children is that children at a young age start to learn cause and effect. And good and healthy parents work hard to teach cause and effect to their kids. A good and healthy parent rewards good behavior and punishes bad behavior so that kids learn cause and effect, so that they they have a healthy lifestyle later on in life. I remember when I was a kid playing out in my front yard, my parents told me that I could not go out and play in the street. And that if I did, I would have to go to my room. And I thought to myself, people don't pass laws against things that are not interesting. If there's a law against it, there must be something really fascinating going on out in the street there. I wonder what that's all about. If it was just boring, there wouldn't be any rules surrounding it. Later that afternoon, when I was in my room, because of the tyrannical government that we call the family, because of the prison that I called the home that I lived in, locked away in my room, quarantined, I began to realize that there's a cause and effect relationship between things that causes have effects because of the tyrants that I called parents. Uh, I, I realized that if you do certain things, certain consequences result. And if you do good things, good consequences result. And if you do bad things, bad consequences result. And as a consequent of all that, I went to Berkeley so I could stage my protests to uh, get back at the man uh, because of those dictators who raised me. Uh, I you know, the weirdest thing was their parents, my, my grandparents, my, my parents' parents, which is what a grandparent is by definition, they gave me cookies no matter what I did. I mean, how's a kid supposed to figure that system out? <sighs> I don't know how those four raised those two. Anyway, my point is, good and healthy parents teach their kids cause and effect relationships. They teach them that for good behavior, good results happen, and for bad behavior, bad results happen. Now, as we grow up into adulthood, we start to make assumptions based on what we learned as children. And we look to God, whom we think of as the unseen orchestrator of the universe, the one who is the architect of the mechanisms that control the things that we can't control. And when things happen in our universe, we tend to look to God and say, now, why did you, why did you do that? Or why did you allow that? If something bad happens, we say, God, what on, earth, what on earth did I do to deserve that? Where is God when it hurts? And that's what I want to talk about today. Because we're in an unusual season, not just as a society, but as a world. And a lot of people are asking about that cause and effect relationship and what God must be doing or allowing, and why. And I want to look at a passage from Luke chapter 13, where Jesus addresses the cause and effect relationship, and exactly that assumption that people have about what God is doing behind the scenes. Look at Luke chapter 13, verse 1, and follow along with me in the scriptures. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, little word for you uh, parents out there. Uh, At bedtime, do not just open the Bible and read whatever your eyes fall on. That's not how the Bible works. And that is not a good way to pick Bible stories for bedtime. You're going to mess your kids up doing that. Read it ahead of time so you know what you're getting into. A lot of people come to this passage in Luke chapter 13 and go, what on earth is Jesus talking about? Galileans and sacrifices and blood. What on earth is going on here? And there's no notes. There's nothing that explains it. There's, no, there's nothing in the margins that says, oh, let me tell you what's going on here. Well, Jesus is taking a, a headline from the news of his day. Uh, We know that much. There's no other historical references on this particular event, but we do know a bit about Pontius Pilate, who was governor of Judea, and how he ruled Judea at the time. The the lay of the land, the political lay of the land, was that Rome conquered from basically England to India, as we know it today. And in each of the countries that Rome conquered, Caesar would then appoint a a lesser king, a second-tier king, to rule over that that province, that, that country. And so... Caesar ruled all of Rome, and in Israel, where the Jewish people lived, where Jesus lived, he appointed King Herod. And then Herod broke Israel up into provinces, and the governor of the area of Judea was Pontius Pilate. And we do know some things about Pontius Pilate from historians like Josephus and Tacitus, who tell us that Pilate was not a particularly good guy. Uh, One time, uh, in the middle of the night, when all the Jewish people were asleep, Pilate snuck into town with images of Caesar and put them all over Jerusalem. Now, to give you a sense for what that means, there, there, were, there were groups of people who worshipped Caesar as though he were a god. It was called the imperial cult. And they worshiped Caesar as though he was a god. And and so King Herod and Pontius Pilate wanted to encourage this because it's, you know, it's praising their boss. And if and if he thinks that they're doing good things for him. Maybe they'll you know, get promoted. So, so they're encouraging the imperial cult. Jerusalem is the heart of the Jewish people who believe there's only one God and Caesar isn't it. And so imagine they wake up from their beds in the morning, they walk outside, and there are images of Caesar all over town. It'd kind of be like, well, you know how in, in some Muslim countries they have the, the towers from which they sing the Muslim prayers over the city? It kind of like you know, if the people in Lubbock, Texas woke up one morning and walked outside and the, the Muslim prayers were being sung all over Lubbock, Texas without anybody's permission. That's about what it would have been like for the Jewish people to wake up in Jerusalem one morning and find images of Caesar all over town. And the fact that Pontius did it in the middle of the night meant he knew it was offensive and he was just trying to get away with it. So Pontius was not well liked. He also was was actually. Uh, even worse to the Jewish people, he stole money out of their temple to build his aqueducts. He took, a, he took church money to do his public work project. So Pontius was not liked. Well, what probably happened in this incident, from just this line that we have here, is that there were some Galileans who were often trying to rebel against Rome, who were in, a, a temple, in the temple uh, offering prayers, worship, and sacrifices at the altar. And Pontius Pilate had them killed. Uh, and, it, and it would have been even more offensive that they were in church. I mean, in church, you're supposed to be safe. It's all the more offensive for, for them to be killed in the middle of worship. I mean, where, where is God when that kind of thing happens? And, and the fact that they, they died at the altar and it says, you know, their, their blood uh, mixed with the, the animal blood on the altar, that's like defiling them. That would, that would have been unclean in their religion. So it's even more insulting. In fact, it makes them look like they were the sacrifices at the altar, which is even more insulting. So here's this terrible event from the headlines of the day. And so everybody in Jerusalem would have been talking about this. And Jesus uses that to write an op-ed, right? If that's the headline, Jesus gives an op-ed on it. And his, his, his op-ed is, do you think that they were worse sinners than everybody else? No. So that's, that's, the, uh, that's the incident here. That's what... Um, Jesus is referencing. Okay, now he goes to a second headline from the news of the day in verse four. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So here's another event of the day that we don't have other historical references on, but we do know uh, that the, the Tower of Siloam existed because some archaeologists dug it up in 1920. And so there's this uh, tower, and obviously for whatever reason, there was an accident, and it fell over, and it killed 18 people. There are actually earthquakes fairly often in the region, so it may have been an earthquake. It may have been a construction accident, but something happened, and this natural disaster happened and killed these people. And so again, Jesus is pulling a a headline that everybody would have known and been talking about, and he uses that to talk about the theology of where God is when bad things happen. And then he offers a little parable. Verse 6, then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, his, his worker, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, And I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So if those are the the headlines, here's Jesus' op-ed on this. Here's what Jesus' commentary is. He's addressing the question that people have about where God is when bad things happen. And are we somehow responsible when bad things happen to us? If bad things happen to us, is it because I did something wrong? That's what I learned as a child from my parents. If bad things happen... In this world now, is God the unseen architect, the the one who orchestrates all the mechanics of the universe, is he somehow trying to get through to me? Well, Jesus actually does something very clever in this passage. He picks two headlines, but they're different. Do you notice this? Uh, One of them is an issue of moral evil, of people doing bad things to people. And one is an issue of what we would call natural evil, where a natural disaster happens and people die from it. That'd be like a, like a virus killing people, right? It's, nobody caused it, but it but it's, exists, and it's a natural death, and, and people die from it. Jesus picks two different kinds of evil that exists in the world and says, let me address both of these. Do you think that the people who were killed by Pontius Pilate were, were guilty of worse sin? No, of course they weren't. Do you think the people who were killed by the tower falling were guilty of worse sin? No, of course they weren't. Jesus speaks into a world where bad things happen and says, look, when, when, when terrible things happen, it's not because you did something to deserve it. That's not how God communicates. God doesn't use the events of the world to, to zap you if you've, because you've done something wrong. That's not how God works. Jesus speaks into that suspicion that a lot of us carry around with us. That, that inclination we have because we learned it as children. If I'm good, I get rewarded. If I'm bad, I get punished. And we're, we're working that backwards. We're saying something bad's happening. May I, maybe I'm getting punished. What did I do wrong? And Jesus says, that's not what's going on. That's not good theology. Jesus wants us to understand that in the brokenness of this world, that's not who God is. So Jesus says, pay attention. First of all, it's not their fault. When bad things happen, it's, it's not their fault. If, if someone else hurts you, that's, that's their fault, not yours. If, if natural disasters happen, that's not somebody getting, getting through to you. That's the state of a broken world. And secondly, Jesus says, but repent or you too will perish. And when, when those words are used in the scriptures, they're not referring to uh, natural human death. They're referring to eternal judgment. Jesus saying, but you better turn your life around because the day is going to happen where you end up standing in front of God. And you have to give an account on that day for why you've lived the way you have. Are you ready for that day? If suddenly your life were demanded of you today, would you be ready for that? And, and that's a question that ought to lay on all of our hearts. If bad things do happen, if, if disasters do happen, are we ready to stand in front of God? And if you're not, you better get to know Jesus. He says, look, the farmer's going to decide that one day that, that tree had be, better be bearing good fruit. And our lives had better show signs of turning away from brokenness and sin and embracing Jesus and following after him. Are we ready for that day? Today's the day to get ready. Don't let another day go by. Um, I can't wait for the time where we get to gather together again as a church and celebrate baptism. Uh, It's coming. If you'd like to do baptisms at the beach, let me know. There are beaches that are open. We can go do baptisms at the beach. Uh, Pretty soon we can do baptisms in the church baptismal or in swimming pools at your houses. But if you're ready to celebrate baptism, baptism is that beautiful sign that somebody has turned around. Somebody has said, I want to wash away my old life and and live for a new thing. I don't want to keep chasing after selfishness. I want to chase after Jesus. And if if you've lived with Jesus just kind of on the back burner of your life as an afterthought, that's not good enough. There are no lukewarm Christians in heaven. Get right with God because you never know when the day will come where you stand in front of him and have to give an account for how you lived and who you are. But Jesus says, that that's cause and effect. That's the one that matters. If we live for Jesus, we stand with Jesus in the end. That's cause and effect. If terrible things happen in this world, it's not because God is trying to get at us. So this is the biblical picture of the brokenness of the world. This is the big biblical picture of cause and effect. And we all ought to have this deeply in our hearts so that we're not worried by things we don't have to worry about. The Bible teaches that the world is broken. And it's been broken from the beginning. Uh, maybe because that, that first couple were told, don't eat the, the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden. And they said, people don't pass laws against things that aren't interesting. There must be something awfully fun about that fruit, if that's the one we're not allowed to have. And And if not just them, then throughout history, all of us know we've pushed God away. Every single one of us has said, God, I don't want to do life on your terms. I want to do life on my terms. I want to have it my way. I don't need your tyranny. I want to go stage my protest and live life on my own. And the Bible says God's worst punishment for us, God's hardest punishment for us, is not zapping us with a lightning bolt. It says in Romans chapter 1 that his worst punishment is letting us have things our own way. That the worst thing God could do for us is to say, fine, if you want to live life without me, see how that goes. We've said individually and corporately as a species, God, we want the world on our terms, not on yours. And God has partially honored that request. And because of that, our world is broken. It, It manifests that brokenness in moral evil because we do nasty things to each other. And it manifests in physical evil, in natural evil. Because the, the world shows signs that it is, it's, it's fractured. Uh, there's, a, there's a biblical example of that. When Jesus dies on the cross, there's an earthquake and the sky turns black. Because the physical world itself manifests the spiritual reality of human, humanity's relationship with God. So the, the whole world is broken. And it manifests itself in moral evil and in natural evil. But what we need to see from that is that the big brokenness of the world is what causes all the the disasters and the the terrible things uh, in this this world. It's not the little individual things that we do that cause towers to fall. It's not the little terrible things that we do to cause the the world to be in a, a state of lockdown. The little things that we do have direct consequences that we can see. When I drive too fast, I get a speeding ticket. That's the cause and effect that I ought to pay attention to. When terrible things happen in the world, It's not because of something you did. God is never trying to get back at you. God is not using natural forces to zap you so that you run around anxiously trying to figure out what you did wrong. That's not who our God is. In the midst of suffering, when we say, where is God when it hurts? There are four things that Jesus leaves us with. Number one... Jesus' heart burns with compassion when we hurt. Jesus went to a funeral once of his friend Lazarus. He went knowing fully well he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. But the first thing he did at that funeral was to cry, was to mourn with those who mourned. Because when our hearts hurt, Jesus' heart hurts. Jesus' heart burns with compassion when we suffer. Number two, Jesus doesn't want us blaming victims, including ourselves when we're the victim. When terrible people do terrible things, it's not the victim's fault, and they shouldn't review their own lives to see if they deserve some kind of terrible thing to happen to them. When towers fall on people, there's there's nothing that they did to cause that. There's nothing that they did to, to prompt that. There's there's actually a a Hebrew uh, uh, scripture, the book of Job, in which Job goes through terrible suffering. He loses his family and his farm and even his own health. And his friends gather around him and go, you probably did something, didn't you? And Job goes, I swear I didn't. And at the end of the book, God shows up. And his bottom line is, look, I'm the one who's in charge. And Job, you need to pick better friends for yourself. Jesus wants us to know that When terrible things happen in the world, there's not a cause and effect between the little things that we do and the brokenness of our world. Thirdly, Jesus wants us to focus instead on his kingdom, on what really is eternal, right? Repent and and pay attention to the fact that you are going to be accountable accountable to God one day. Be ready for that day. That's the day that matters. Focus on his kingdom. That's what counts more than the the temporal rises and falls in our world. And fourthly and finally, Jesus wants to empower us to share his love and his kingdom on the earth. Jesus wants to empower us to bring love and healing and grace to a world in need. Jesus wants to be involved in our lives as we alleviate the terrible suffering that goes on in this world. I, I saw Jesus show up in kind of a cool way this last week. Uh, I was on my way down to God's Pantry, uh, where I go volunteer to help pack up groceries for people uh, in need. And on the way down, I was uh, praying in my car. And if you're a regular at Real Life uh, Church, or if you follow us at reallife.la on our podcast, you know I've shared this with you before. Uh, I like to pray out loud in my car. So if you ever see me uh, driving down the street and talking and nobody's there, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. So I was driving down to God's Pantry uh, this last week, and I was praying out loud in my car. And I said, Jesus, today at the pantry... I want to pray for somebody who needs healing, and I want to pray for somebody who doesn't know you. The first one's the first one's pretty easy. There's usually somebody out there who's in need of, of physical healing in one way or another. A lot of the people who are volunteering at the pantry are, are Christians already, and so I wasn't sure how that one would happen. Uh, but I thought, uh, I'll give it a try. That's what I asked for. So I got down to the pantry and I was put on uh, broccoli duty. I was putting broccoli in uh, plastic grocery sacks to put in boxes to give out to people as they came by. And a woman uh, was uh, assigned to broccoli duty with me and so we sat there uh, wearing our face masks and putting broccoli in bags to go out uh, in, the, in the groceries. As we talked for a little while, she brought up uh, out of nowhere, I didn't uh, ask or prompt her, she said, you know, I, I'm, I'm hurting today because I have diverticulitis. And I said, oh. Well, as a matter of fact, we talk a lot about healing prayer around our church, and I believe in praying for healing for people, and I'm going to pray for you right now. And she said, oh, thank you. And so I told her a little bit about how healing prayer worked and how Jesus had healed people and how he sent his disciples out to heal people and how he taught his disciples to teach other disciples to heal people, and that's what we're doing. And so I prayed for her diverticulitis to go away. And then I said, now usually what we do after this is we test to see if the pain is still there or if it's gone. And she kind of moved around a little bit, and she goes... I don't feel anything. She said, when you were praying for me, I started shivering, but I don't, I don't feel any pain now. And then she turned around and she picked up a crate of broccoli, which is not lightweight. And she goes, I couldn't do that without pain an hour ago. And she started to cry. She held her hands up over her heads and she goes, I can stand up straight. I couldn't stand up straight a few minutes ago. Uh, and, and there it was. And uh, I love it when Jesus shows up in that way. And so then she went off uh, a little bit later. She went off to work in another part of the warehouse. And another woman was put on broccoli duty. And I sat there thinking, what have I done wrong that God is punishing me by putting me around broccoli so much today? And then I realized that's not how God works, so I shouldn't be thinking that. But this other woman came up, and we were uh, bagging broccoli together and just chit-chatting about life and about the world and everything. And I, I had this hunch that she was going to be the second person I had prayed for in the car. And so I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a pastor do you have a home church? And she said, no, I'm not, I'm not real sure about the religious stuff. And so we talked about that for a while and I talked to her about my experience of having doubts about God and believing in God and, and things like that and invited her along to our church. What was uh, neat about all that is that that was exactly what I had prayed for in the car. I said, hey Jesus, this is what I wanna do today. And as we reach out to Jesus and say, hey Jesus, I want, I want my heart to beat like your heart beats. I want to do what I see you doing in the scriptures and what I think you're calling us to in the world today. Jesus loves to show up at those moments. Jesus loves to bring healing and love and grace to a hurting world. And so on those days where we hurt, on those days where we're haggard because the world is locked down and life doesn't feel like it's ever going to get back to normal, Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. His heart burns with compassion when our hearts hurt. And that's what I want you to take away today. Know that if today is not a good day for you, Jesus loves you. He knows every single thing that's going on in your life right now. He's not ignoring you. He is not avoiding you. He's not bringing suffering into your life to hurt you. That's not who he is. Reach out in prayer today. Ask Jesus to heal the broken places. Ask him to come and do life with you. And ask him to send you out in the world to do things good. Hey, after service today, uh, let's gather together and have a little chit-chat. We're going to do a virtual lobby. This is a first. Uh, Often after church, we gather in the lobby to share donuts and coffee and talk about life. We're going to do that virtually today. So you'll get your own donuts and coffee at your home. And we're going to gather virtually in just a second. If you log in to reallife.la/lobby. We'll have a virtual lobby together after the service let me pray together let me pray as we let me uh, lead us as we pray together Uh, father i thank you that you love us and i thank you that even in the midst of hard and hurting times in this world you are not you are not the kind of god who's there trying to get even with us or to smite us or to make us suffer to get back at us you're the god of love you're the god of grace and forgiveness and that we when we turn to you and believe that you died for us, all our sins are gone anyway. So teach us to live in that grace. Teach us to live in your love and teach us to share your love with a broken world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. See you again. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.